Let's turn now, first of all, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, and we'll read the first eight verses. Luke 18, and then after that we'll turn over to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we'll begin reading at verse 13 of Ephesians 6. First of all, Luke 18. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect, who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And turning over to Ephesians 6, we'll read from verses 13 through 18. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We'll stop there. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, our text this evening forms a kind of climax to this uh, call to spiritual warfare uh, that we are to be engaged in as those who are armed with God's might and equipped with his armor. And that means that prayer here is not to be uh, heard so much as a piece of our weaponry, but rather the ongoing and constant activity of a life of faith. Uh, praying always, that itself uh, grammatically suggests that uh, this is an ongoing activity that characterizes our uh, our use of all these other pieces of armor. Put on the gospel armor, each piece put on with prayer. Some of you might be familiar with that, that line in uh, a hymn about prayer. That means that praying is necessary if any of this armor is going to be effective. Uh, we considered briefly last time that each piece of armor, in one way or another, involves the Word of God. Uh, we are to hold the shield of faith. We are to wear the uh, the um, breastplate of righteousness. And uh, when we look at these specific implements of our, our weaponry, they all involve living by faith, by faith in God's Word. But if uh, faith is, is necessary for living with this armor, Certainly that is the case, that prayer is necessary for living in the strength and power of God. Uh, the hymn writer and poet William Cowper said, 
that restraining prayer, it's in a poem or a song that he wrote, restraining prayer, we cease to fight. Prayer makes the Christian's armor bright. And Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon his knees. So we're considering the utmost importance of prayer in the Christian life. And once more, we need to see that in connection with the main charge that we've heard back in verse 10, that we are to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And that means that we must be strong in the Lord with all prayer. That's the language that Paul uses here. And uh, again, the main point of this sermon and the passage before us is to impress upon us the urgency of continuing in prayer and in all kinds of prayer. Praying always with all prayer. Prayer is a general term uh, for uh, calling upon God, but uh, there are specific words that are used here, like supplication. Supplication involves making requests or pleas, appealing to God for his help. And uh, all these uh, different aspects of, of prayer are involved, including things like praise and confession and thanksgiving. And we are to make requests or supplications, and we are to pray uh, not only for ourselves, uh, but for others. And we're to do so always. We know that the devil is busy at all times. He doesn't take uh, a sabbatical. He doesn't observe the Sabbath. And uh, we need to be uh, drawing near to God at all times. Not only in times of crisis, when we might feel the urgency of God's help, but also in quiet days, in the midst of our ordinary routine, when we might be subject to different kinds of temptations by the evil one. We need to pray. We constantly need God's presence. We need his uh, protection and we need his help. And we need to have constant communication then with the Lord. We're going to consider that uh, in connection with the wording of our text. First of all, looking at this summons to pray at all times in the spirit. In the spirit. And our translators properly capitalize uh, the word spirit referring to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there are other passages in Scripture that make clear that our spirits, that is, uh, the human spirit, uh, is also to be engaged in prayer. Of course, that's of great importance. The inner man must be involved. We don't simply say prayers. We don't repeat petitions as if we're heard for our much speaking. No, we are to be thoughtful. We are to pray. Well, Paul says, I will pray with the Spirit, but I will pray with my understanding as well. And uh, and that, that suggests that indeed the Spirit, the feelings, the, uh, the desires of our hearts are to be engaged, uh, but also we are to pray with understanding as Paul indicates. And so, of course, that is necessary for prayer, for true prayer. Uh, I lift up my soul. That's the language of the psalmist. We sang a psalm in which he uses that terminology. Uh, psalm 25 is another one. There's a deliberate coming into the presence of God and uh, elevating oneself, as it were, uh, to him. But uh, as soon as we begin to talk about what it means to pray truly, 
from from the the inner life, uh, we're immediately uh, in the realm of the Holy Spirit's work. And true prayer, then, is always by the Holy Spirit. And this isn't the only passage that uses uh, such language. In the, the book of Jude, the saints are exhorted to be building themselves up in their most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keeping themselves in the love of God. There again, that language of praying in the Spirit. Earlier on in this book, we are uh, reminded of the access that we have to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. By Him, we all, or both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit to God. So then the question is, what does it mean uh, to pray in the Spirit? Does that mean that we are to speak in tongues? No, no, no. Uh, that would be impossible to substantiate from Scripture that that's what's in view of praying uh, in the Spirit. Rather, uh, we are to pray, first of all, in that faith which the Holy Spirit works in us. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's by that true faith whereby we know God as our Father who is reconciled to us through Jesus Christ that uh, we are experiencing the, the work of the Holy Spirit within us. To have that childlike trust in God is no natural attitude, but it is the result of the Holy Spirit's effective work and teaching. And that in itself is a, of great comfort and encouragement. If we can draw near to God and call upon Him as our Father, that's because of the Holy Spirit who works faith in us. So we are to pray according to the faith that the Holy Spirit works in us. We are to pray with the desires that the Holy Spirit inspires in us. If we hunger and thirst after righteousness, if we want God to be glorified, if we want to grow in sanctification, well, those are desires, again, that are not natural to us, but they are effectively worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And then in that connection, of course, we are to pray according uh, to the word that the Holy Spirit inspired. That is, we are to pray according to God's will. We are pr to pray according uh, to the promises that we are given in Scripture. You know, sometimes people might view that as rather, rather mundane and rather inadequate. You mean we only have to be concerned with God's will in prayer? Well, there are matters in which we don't know what God's will may be specifically with regard to uh, many things that we may lawfully pray for, but also acknowledge that we are subject to God's wise and gracious will. But it's the greatest encouragement in the world to have a warrant from God's own word to plead the things that he has promised to give us. And those promises don't make us silent. Those promises move and inspire us to call upon God, to fulfill His Word to us. And so we ought to treasure up those promises. And we ought to derive our, our confidence that as we pray according to God's will, He will hear us. That is prayer in the Spirit. In other words, it's not a, it's not a special kind of prayer for, for unusual circumstances where you might feel especially elevated or exalted in your soul and, and therefore you pray in the Spirit. 
Oh, there may be such happy times in our prayer life, but whenever we call upon God in truth, we call upon Him in faith, with the desires that He has given us in His Word, based on the promises of His Word, well, that is to pray in the Spirit. So we ought not to think of this as some kind of a mystical thing. It is indeed a supernatural thing when you consider that it is the mighty God dwelling within us who so enables us and teaches us to pray. But it ought to be a great encouragement for us to pray at all times, to pray in times of sadness and and trouble, to pray in times of joy, to pray in sickness, to pray in health, to pray when we're very, very busy. There's a famous quotation of Martin Luther. I can't get it verbatim, but it's something to the effect that I had so much to do today that I had to spend extra time in prayer. Because he realized that in order to accomplish the things that God called him to do, he needs special help. And so spending more time in prayer wasn't wasting time. It was the best use of his time. We are to pray in busy days and slow days. We are to pray when we may experience a kind of a victory, even in spiritual matters or success. And we should pray when we have fallen and we may feel defeated. We are to pray at all times, always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus told that parable addressing the reality that we are very much inclined to lose heart. Like that widow might have reasoned, I've, I've appealed to him again and again and again. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. What's the point? What's the use? No, she persisted. And Jesus uses that, that example of an unjust judge in order to make the how much more point of the fact that God will, in his time and in his way, answer the prayers of those who persist. We ought always to pray and not lose heart. There are no circumstances in which Christian soldiers may not pray. There are no circumstances in which we do not need to pray. There are no circumstances in which we cannot pray. We might feel like it. There might be times when we feel that I just cannot pray. Can you say the words, help me? Can you say, save me? That was a prayer, right? When Peter felt himself sinking in the waves in the midst of a storm, save me. It's kind of what we heard in Psalm 70. The psalmist appeals to God to come quickly, speedily. He's in danger. Help me. Do not delay. And when we feel that we cannot pray, that's the time to pray. And you might find what the psalmist often seems to have experienced, and that is in coming to God in his need, he was encouraged. And he strengthened in his faith. And even in Psalm 70, it begins on this plaintive tone, and it ends somewhat on a plaintive tone. But I am poor and needy. Do not delay. But there within that psalm, you also hear him saying that all those who love your salvation say, let God be magnified. In prayer, he was given a vision of God and his glory. And he sought the honor of God. And sometimes with the help of God, we can pray ourselves out of a funk, so to speak. When we don't feel like praying, praying, that is the time when we may come to God and seek his help. And we may find that he comes to our help. And he gives us that spirit of prayer. And he comforts us with the spirits crying, even if those are with groans that cannot be expressed. 
in eloquent words, and we hardly know what to pray for. God helps us by his spirit. We are to pray in the face of temptation as we face the enemies of our souls. The answer of faith, again, in another hymn is, While I breathe, I pray. Pray without ceasing is another exhortation similar to what we have before us. Pray always. Now, does that mean every moment of the day? Well, no. You, you remember the story of Mephibosheth. He was, he was the son of Jonathan. Uh, and uh, in flight from the enemies of the Lord, his nurse dropped him and he was lame on his feet. But uh, when he sought out David's help and mercy, David gave him a place at his table that he would always eat at his table. Does that mean that Mephibosheth never moved away from the table, that he was constantly eating? No, no. It means that he continually had access to this rich supply of food. And so we also have continual access to God. And yes, that that properly takes uh, stated times of prayer. It's good to have specific times for prayer. It's good to have habits of prayer before mealtime and even to have prayer after mealtime combined with the reading of God's word. You know, that's a long tradition in uh, Dutch Reformed families. I don't, I, I don't know if that is as uh, common in other traditions, but it's a long practice uh, in uh, Dutch Reformed families that mealtime was an event. It had a beginning and it had an end. And the bookends of that meal was prayer. And the word of God was read typically at the, at the end of a meal. What a wonderful thing. What a, well, that's the time for family worship, right? Now, if families can manage to pull off a different time for family worship in the evening, the Bible doesn't uh, make demands in terms of how we regulate these things in detail. But the family's already together. They're eating together. Most appropriate time to pray together and to read the word of God together. The psalmist in in Psalm uh, 55, he says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. There were stated times, regular times, in which the psalmist called upon God in prayer. But that's not the extent of the Christian's prayer life. We may live quorum Deo. We may live before the face of God. That's our calling. We're to walk in the Spirit. And if we may walk in the Spirit, in other words, in the course of our daily lives, if we can keep in step with the Holy Spirit's will, well, certainly then we can again and again, even throughout the day, lift up our souls to God. Those may be very brief prayers. They may be prayers of, of, uh, of thanksgiving that may not even be expressed in words. They might be the lifting up of our minds and our hearts to God with gratitude or with a prayer for help or with the acknowledgement of his hand. You know, I began to think of it. I don't really know how many times I pray during the day. I know that I try to practice regular stated times of prayer at meal times and in my study in the morning. But how often do I think of God? How often does that translate into, into thoughts or words of gratitude or praying for the activity that I'm involved in? 
I think it, it's become second nature. And I think if you've walked with God for many years, it would probably be hard for you to calculate the number of times where you actually lift up your thoughts to God because it's become a way of life. And that's our privilege to so live in the presence of God. Calvin, in his, in his commentary on this passage, he says, it is not enough for us to have prayed to God in fits and starts, as they say, but we must continue in it, and that in two ways. For first, when we have prayed today, both morning and evening and every hour, we must keep on and never swerve from that course so long as we live. For our faith, as I have said, must exercise itself, and this is the way in which it must do so. There is yet another way of persevering or holding out, which is that when we have desired God to help us in this or that, we must repeat the same supplications, not twice or three times only, but as often as we have need, a hundred and a thousand times. God does not get tired of hearing us ask for the same things again and again and again. He calls us to do that. He invites us, he allures us to come to him, to pour out our hearts to him, to do that continuously. So we are to pray always in the spirit. Secondly, we're to pray with persevering uh, watchfulness. Being watchful, Paul adds, to this end, with all perseverance. Ever fall into a sin that you prayed against? Earlier that very day, I have. I'll probably do that until I'm rid of this body of death. But sometimes it's, well, it's always my fault when I fall into sin, but sometimes it can be traceable to a failure to be watchful and to be alert and to pray as if, well, I've done my, my prayer duty today. And uh, then you move on. Often the explanation for this is that we didn't follow our prayers with a spiritual alertness. And we view prayer as a duty to be done with instead of uh, our native breath that requires spiritual vigilance. Always watch in prayer. Remember the way the Lord Jesus joined these things together in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said to his sleepy disciples, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, uh, but the flesh is weak. The, the, the best armed and equipped soldier uh, can't defend himself if he's asleep, can he? Abner, this great warrior, was altogether helpless in a deep sleep when uh, David sent uh, his uh, soldiers down to take his canteen and his spear uh, from the side of Saul while Abner was supposed to be watching over his master. And prayer is not an excuse uh, for then going to sleep spiritually. What would you think of a soldier who was found sleeping on his watch? And uh, when he was taken to task for he says, well, I, I prayed before I went to sleep that all would be well. Everything's fine. I prayed. It's okay. No, no. His responsibility was to be alert and to watch as well as to pray. You can imagine that that could be difficult at times for a soldier. Everyone else is sleeping. The night is dark. The hours go by slowly. What's he to do? Pinch himself? 
take deep breaths, slap his legs, eat candy. It's like whatever will work. You've got to stay awake. What are you doing to stay awake spiritually? I know what you're doing. You're here present tonight. Very, very important. Very valuable for your spiritual growth and alertness to be constantly furnished with the teaching of God's Word. What about other things? Do you like to read uh, things along with Scripture that are spiritually stimulating, that are arousing, that, that might poke you and prod you and maybe convict you and expose your weaknesses and your failings? If you have an aversion to that kind of writing, it's not good. It's not good. We need to be challenged. Sometimes we need to be convicted. Some of the most helpful authors in my life are the ones that really scared me. Ones that really made me question sometimes whether I was a Christian. That's been good for me because it drove me to my knees saying things like, Lord, don't let me be deceived. Don't let me fool myself. I need more of that. We need to read that kind of stuff. Are you careful about the effects of different things in your life in their terms of their influence on your spiritual life? Are, are you observant about the effects of excess? All kinds of excess. Excess in food. Excess in drink. Excess in screen time. Now that covers a whole realm of activities nowadays, doesn't it, right? Because there's a big screen, television's a great big screen, we've got little screens, we've got middle-sized screens, and we can spend hours and hours on these screens. And lots of times, those hours aren't involved in watching really, really bad stuff. That could be too. But very often, they're hours that are just consumed, they're gobbled up by this screen. And they leave us without the alertness, the attention, and the will to spend any time in the Bible today, to spend any meaningful time in prayer. Because an excess of entertainment, of easy entertainment, has replaced a kind of watchfulness that says, no, I've got to, I've got to work at keeping myself awake, even if it's hard, even if it's unpleasant. Paul says, I keep under my body, and I bring it into subjection. I buffet my body. It's like... In other words, he tries to exercise self-control over his physical appetites. He seeks to live a disciplined life because he realizes that there is a very close connection between his appetites and his spiritual life. And as the one goes up, the other goes down. There's often a very clear uh, relationship between those things. Are we aware of those dangers? Are we aware of the dangers of luxury? I take a walk by the river a couple times a week and uh, uh, above the um, the river valley there, there's a, a whole bunch of new houses that have been built in the last few years. These are mansions. They're huge. Multi-millions of dollars, I'm sure, in every one. I don't really know. And I was walking by one and I looked at these huge houses and I, I thought, I wonder how many people live there and I wonder what their lives are like. I wonder... I wonder if they have to work extra in order to pay their mortgage. Or are they so rich that it's no big deal to live in a house like that? And again, I say this not with any kind of uh, a judgment, any kind of assumption that to live in that kind of house, whatever the circumstances, is somehow evil or wrong. But it occurred to me that 
People could be infatuated by living in a house like this and being able to look over the river valley and to, to see the river and to see the hills on the other side and to see the sunset. And man, what a life that would be. You think the marriages in these houses are better than marriages in small or medium-sized houses? Probably not. Probably the excitement of, of moving into a big new house like that together has worn off and they're dealing with the reality of this insatiable craving that we have as idol-making factories that are never satisfied with stuff. Do we realize the danger of luxury? Do we try to get a grip on ourselves when we're tempted to buy and buy and buy? Do we realize that there is a direct correlation between that in our spiritual lives. Are you willing to slap yourself awake spiritually? Do you welcome conviction and rebuke? Awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ shall give you light. Now, we're familiar with those words because they're in the Bible. Can you imagine what it was like for those who heard such words for the first time from the beloved Apostle Paul who's writing a book to them to encourage them in the faith? And he says, Awake you who sleep! Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. That sounds like a personal attack almost, a kind of judgment against me. No, it's a summons to be alert, to be watchful. And we need that. We need to be alert. We need to be alert in prayer. That's why I think, again, maybe some of you are able to pull it off. I think it's a bad habit to wait to pray until you go to bed at night. It's a wonderful thing to end the day in prayer, even if you're laying on your bed. But if that's your prayer time, I think there's a great danger that you're half asleep already. You're just not aware, alert. It's probably the worst time of the day for any kind of serious, concentrated endeavor to pray. Again, again, uh, that is not to dismiss the value of, of uh, resigning ourselves to God and lifting up our thoughts to Him at the end of a day. But we need to be alert in prayer, and we need to be alert for prayer. And one way to evaluate certain activities or entertainments or habits is to ask the question, how does this affect my prayer life? Does it make me unfit to pray? Well, that can be convicting, but it can be a kind of question that will uh, maybe alert us to the possibility of too much worldliness, right? There's always that danger. Worldliness, watchfulness. They seem to have a lot in common. They both start with W and they end with the words, with the word, or the letters N-E-S-S. But worldliness and watchfulness, they don't go together. They're in conflict with each other. We need to pray with persevering watchfulness, spiritual alertness. And then finally, we need to pray with requests for all the saints. With all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. A reminder, brothers and sisters, that we are we are in this fight together. And uh, that doesn't mean that we can't pray for ourselves. Or it doesn't mean that we can't pray for unbelievers. But it's a reminder that we pray as members of the body of Christ. And we are to do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And we are to be alert also to the needs of others. We're to think not only on our own things, but the things of others. We're to bear one another's burdens. And we're to do that with uh, hearts of concern. We're to uh, seek to be affected by those needs. Sometimes that means you need to get up close. Sometimes that means you need to be involved in the messiness of people's lives uh, on occasions. You know how the advertisers enlist your 
support and compassion for the SPCA. They, they show mistreated dogs. They, they enlist your feelings of compassion for cats that are mistreated so that you'll give and you'll do something. Well, certainly, uh, when we face the reality of the needs of our brothers and sisters, that ought to move us. Our heart should go out to those who are suffering, those who are hungry, those who are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. And we need to care and believe enough to to petition God on their behalf. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews suggests that uh, thoughtfulness when he says to remember those who are in prison as, though, as those who are also in the body. Oh, our bodies might be well pampered and cared for in terms of our comforts. We have plenty to eat. We have freedoms and enjoyments. But those bodies are just as much subject to pain and deprivation and suffering as others. And when we think of that, well, that should help us to pray with sympathy for those who may be imprisoned for the faith. Pray for others. Think of a method that works for you. It's amazing when you listen to Paul's description of uh, his, his prayer life for others. It's like in all the, the letters, he speaks of his prayers for those to whom he writes. That's a lot of churches. Sometimes uh, we're given to see that he prays for them by name. A lot of them. Did he have a method? Was it Tuesday and Wednesday for the churches of Asia? Was it, you know, we don't know. Did he have lists? Most likely there was some method, some kind of organization to pray for others. Now, there's nothing wrong with general prayers. When you look at the, the uh, book of forms and prayers, there, there are prayers. There are prayers for the world. There are prayers for the poor without spelling it out in detail. That doesn't mean that they're thoughtless prayers. It doesn't mean that the form for prayer says, Lord, bless all those who await your blessing. Amen. No, they're more thoughtful and biblical than that. But there's a place for general prayers. There's also a place for specific prayers. Again, I mentioned the value of reading some of our magazines. I look at those magazines on the table, and I can imagine members of the church, they go by, they say, I can't read all those. No, you can't. That's fine. Just pick one or two and uh, read them once in a while, right? Yeah, there's a lot of information. Maybe some of you do dutifully read them all and find it uh, very beneficial. I, I use them as a help to prayer. I, I keep one on my desk, and I'll read a short section and try to include that as something that could be incorporated into family prayer. The directory can be a tool for prayer, not only for elders and deacons, but for, for members of the of the congregation. The prayer meeting is always uh, uh, happening on Saturday mornings, and I've often reminded members, you don't have to come every time in order to participate. I thought, you know, if all the members of the church would come once a year, uh, that would greatly increase our numbers. And you would uh, come to learn also by experience the value of this time of prayer together because it is encouraging, it is mutually edifying, and uh, we do bring the needs of uh, of uh, those that we're aware of in the congregation before the Lord. And we believe that God hears prayer. And uh, we give thanks. And sometimes we give thanks specifically for answered prayers. And uh encourage you to continue to think about that and value, again, the place of prayer in your Bible studies, in your small groups, as well as other occasions. Our God has secured eternal salvation for all his elect. And it doesn't depend on us, as if it stands or falls, even by our prayers. 
or by our action. But the fact is also that God's saving purpose includes our prayers. God, who has ordained the end and the outcome of his plans, also ordains the means. And one of the means that God has appointed to reach the goal that he has purposed is he's going to stir up people to pray. And then they're going to give thanks to him and they're going to glorify him. And that ought to be an encouragement. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. I think there's some truth to that. You don't have to overcome a hurdle to sit down and watch TV. I've said that often. It's not like the flesh cries out, Oh, spare me, spare me. No, do it later, do it later. No, it's easy. But when it comes to prayer, yeah, it's like there's a hurdle that we have to get over because the flesh rebels and the evil one wants to keep us from prayer. If you know anything about military strategy, you know how how, how important it is to achieve some kind of a separation between the troops and their supply line. If you can get in between them, and if they get too far from their supply line, they're very, very vulnerable. If their provisions don't keep up with the armies, they're in trouble. And to be able to sack the supply trains or the, or the wagons of provision, that's a huge blow. Because it leaves troops without provisions. And Satan wants to get in between us in our supply house. He wants to cut us off from those resources that we have in God. We mustn't let him do it. We must continue in prayer. Nothing in the Christian life, if there's nothing that's harder, there's uh, nothing that's more important. And we must also say there's nothing more blessed. That we not only have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, but we have access into this grace in which we stand. We can come to God freely, anytime. He calls us to. He gives us every encouragement to. So let us seek to heed more and more the exhortation of God's word, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen.